You're listening to the One in Five podcast with your host, Matt Peterson. Welcome to the inaugural episode of One in Five, the official podcast of Alpha One, Maine Center for Independent Living. One in five Americans lives with a disability. At 20% of the population, we comprise one of the largest minority groups in the United States. For almost 40 years, Alpha One has enabled thousands of people with disabilities to live more fully and more independently in all aspects of their lives. Visit us on the World Wide Web at alphaonenow.org. Alphaonenow.org, your portal to powering independent living. I'm your host, Matt Peterson, and thank you for joining us. In this episode, we will be discussing Maine's recently revamped non-emergency transportation system. Transportation is a key to independence. Einstein said, nothing happens until something moves, and that's especially true for people with a disability living in a large rural state like we reside in here in Maine. For many Mainers with a disability, having consistent, reliable, accessible transportation to doctor and therapy appointments can literally mean the difference between life and death. To discuss this important subject and the recent changes to Maine's system, I will be joined later in the show by Stephanie Nadow, the Director of the Office of Maine Care Services, and Sarah Squires, the Public Affairs Director for the Disability Rights Center. But first, the news with John Noonan. You're listening to One in Five. News. In a clinic at Harvard University last Sunday, several victims of the April 15th Boston bombing were trying their first run on new prosthetic legs. Olympian and two-time Boston Marathon winner Joan Benoit Samuelson of Freeport, Maine, participated and encouraged them to meet their challenges and look for new ones. There is no finish line, she said. A team of engineering students at Rice University, Texas, have created a low-cost robotic arm. The R-arm can be used to pick up objects and perform other tasks with a video game controller. The engineering students won a prestigious design competition with their creation and have plans to produce it commercially. While most commercial robot arms cost at least $25,000, the engineering students were able to build theirs for under $800. In Maine, efforts to inform the public that a key provision in the Affordable Care Act is underway have been stymied. There's been little on television to let people know about the health insurance marketplace and a lack of visible signs on buildings where people can enrol in person. The Portland area has nine locations where people can walk in and sign up for the insurance, including the County Health Department, Community Health Centres and the Opportunity Alliance Office at Monument Square in Portland. Many states with Republican governors, including Maine's Governor Paul LePage, refused to run their marketplaces, leaving it to the federal government. Visit www.enroll207.com to learn more about the Affordable Care Act in Maine and find enrollment sites. And finally... The Maine Statewide Independent Living Council, or SILC, is in the midst of a search for a part-time executive director. They're looking for an energetic self-starter who's passionate about maximising opportunities for individuals with disabilities. Interested parties should contact chair at mainsilk.org for more information or visit alphaonenow.org for the full listing. And as always, for all the latest up-to-the-minute local and national disability news, visit alphaonenow.org. I'm John Noonan, and this has been the Disability News Roundup. MainCare, the name for Maine's Medicaid program, provides services to recipients that need rides to doctor's appointments, therapy, and other non-emergency transportation. In 2009, it was determined that Maine's current system authority and structure was out of compliance with federal regulations. 
As a result, on August 1st of this year, the new brokerage model for MainCare's non-emergency transportation system was launched. And joining us now to talk about the new system is Stephanie Nadow, the Director of the Office of MainCare Services, the office charged with the responsibility of coordinating MainCare programs and benefits, and Sarah Squires, the Public Affairs Director for the Disability Rights Center, Maine's leading organization for providing legal intervention advocacy services to Maine citizens living with a disability. Stephanie and Sarah, thank you both so much for joining me today. To begin with, Stephanie, could you please just provide us with, with a brief overview of the previous system Maine had in place for providing non-emergency medical transportation to Maine care recipients, the, the new rules that were handed down from the U.S. Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS as it's more commonly referred to, that set that the task of brokering non-emergency medical transportation and providing rides for beneficiaries had to be separated. And finally, could you please just explain when the department was first made aware of these rules and the date when the state was required to have an implemented system in place by in order to be in compliance? Sure, Matt. Thank you for this opportunity to um, give the department's view on the non-emergency transportation uh, network as it is in the state of Maine. And I'll begin with back in 2009, um, CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, as you mentioned, um, did raise concerns with the state of Maine and the Medicaid agency regarding compliance issues. And I, and I say concerns um, because they there was not enough adequate documentation to prove some of um, what they were raising as concerns for the federal government. So, for example, um, <clears throat> they raised concerns regarding conflict of interest of a broker of service also being the provider of service. They felt as though that there was um, a financial benefit for an individual or an organization if they were the broker and the provider of transportation services, um, as well as they raised concerns about um, the state paying for miles in which a Medicaid recipient was not in the vehicle, and they call those no-load miles. And the other um, concern that was raised by the federal government back in 2009 was the state's ability to confirm for the federal government that we were not subsidizing trips in vehicles or on buses for non-Medicaid recipients. So, for example, Medicaid paid um, a full rate for a transporta the transportation of uh, a Medicaid recipient, and then others were riding the bus or the van or the vehicle for free. And so without having that level of data um, to address the concerns that CMS had, um, we started exploring <clears throat> excuse me, options available to the state of Maine that would allow us to um, resolve the concerns that CMS had, but also allow us to hold um, brokers more accountable from a data perspective and a service delivery perspective. One of the concerns that the state of Maine raised, not um, in regards to the federal government, was the fact that there are a lot of night and weekend appointments that were occurring through primary care offices that we weren't able to get transportation for our main care members for. So as we move away from and try to keep individuals out of the emergency room, specifically around the night and weekend time period, we were finding that there were issues with um, those individuals receiving rides to those appointments. In terms of the new system, the state fielded proposals from contractors looking to be brokers. What was the criteria used to evaluate bidders and arrive at a decision on which companies to award contracts to, and what dollar amounts were, were these respective contracts? We um, followed the state procurement guidelines, and you are correct, we did go out um, for procurement for eight regions of the state. Um, those are broken up by the uh, main Department of Transportation regions of the state. So we didn't change any of the regional um, 
systems within the state. What we did was we evaluated based on um, based on price, based on proposal, and um, based on previous experience in other areas. And those were uh, the major components of what we looked at when we scored the bid. What we did was, from the pricing perspective, is we used the historical um, expenditures for previous years on what we had spent on non-emergency transportation. And CMS allows us to have an actuarially sound range in which we can pay the brokers. And so what we did was it was a revenue neutral. We will pay um, no more than what we have paid previously for transportation services. And it allowed us to look at um, brokers from their pricing perspective of where did they fall within that range. Now, the switch was flipped in the new system on August 1st, and almost immediately we began hearing about problems in the system. Sarah, could you please speak a bit about some of the calls that the Disability Rights Center began receiving about the logistical issues in the new system and hardships consumers were experiencing as a result of the change in process for scheduling rides? Well, our clients have had a, a variety of problems. Um, most notably is probably the issues with respect to the call wait times and the you know, amount of time they were spending on the phone waiting to be able to speak to a broker representative in order to schedule their rides. But we've also had issues with people being denied rides, either because you know there, there's nothing available in their area or they require some form of accessible transportation and the broker is unable to provide that. We have people who have mixed day programs, employment. Um, I have kids who are in uh, day treatment programs who are not able to get to school and are losing out on educational services. And we've also had people who, prior to the Burford system, had their transportation for medical appointments lined up. Um, they would call their provider and schedule appointments in a block just so all appointments for August would be scheduled at one time and be resolved. And we've had people call in who said that when the switch was flipped, as you put it, um, their prior provider called up and said, we wiped you out of the system and you have to start over again. So there were some issues with transferring the data over between July 31 and August 1st. So as I said, the problems have run the spectrum. The department has noted that rural areas have been impacted by the loss of volunteer drivers who have, quote-unquote, resigned for various reasons. Could you speak to what some of those reasons are? I think that the largest reason that there was such a drop and a decline in the volunteer drivers, specifically in the rural areas, was the fact that um, they would no longer be reimbursed for the time in which a Medicaid recipient was not in the car. So specifically in rural areas, individuals have to drive um, sometimes very long distances, and if they're not getting reimbursed for that time in which the individual is not in the car being driven to an appointment, um, I, I believe that they, they looked at that and thought that it was not um, financially beneficial for them to continue delivering those rides. I think it's important to note, though, that that particular issue with respect to the volunteer drivers, I, I do think it's something that is somewhat separate from the brokerage system. Unfortunately, the fact is something we would we might be seeing regardless of whether or not we stayed with the old system or continued on this new path. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate you saying that because, as we mentioned earlier, Matt, when we were talking about some of the federal concerns, that was one of the concerns that were raised. So irrespective of which system or delivery system for transportation that we ultimately went with based on the options that CMS presented us, we would have had to have made that correction on the, on the no-load miles.
the unfortunate thing is that, you know, it's our clients who are suffering. And, and thank you for that. And, and, and along those same lines, you know, about pre-existing situations in the system, you know, Stephanie, in your estimation, are the issues that consumers experience with the new system due more to geographical conditions based on where people live in the state? Or or do they stem more from issues on the contractor side, you, you know, shortcoming from specific contractors and then demonstrated capacity to execute the tasks of these contracts? Or what what would you say on that? I think my answer to that, Matt, would be that there, there's a little bit of both here going on. I think, as as Sarah mentioned, you know, the, the change in the no-load miles for the volunteers would have had to have happened um, irregardless, and so I think that that is a factor. I think that um, there are also um, issues with the, the, the brokers, um, not necessarily the brokerage system, but the brokers in their call center capacity being able to answer the calls. I think, you know, being able to um, provide rides that were previously provided before or having adequate network um, to sustain those rides. I think part of where the brokers have struggled since the implementation is um, twofold is they haven't been able to deliver the rides. And if you have a volunteer network, which we heavily rely on in the state of Maine, specifically for Medicaid purposes, and if 25 to 30% of that network disappears within the first few days of implementation, I don't think anybody envisioned that it would be that swift of a decline in the network of volunteers. And that has, that has been part of the struggle that the brokers have, have faced. So I think it, it's twofold. I think there's, there's, um, Adequacy within the infrastructure as it exists in the transportation um, in the state of Maine, but I do think that there were deficiencies on the broker's part as well. And let me, along those lines, let me open this one up to both of you. Are there alternative system designs that, that Maine could have explored to adopt that would have potentially avoided some of these devastating logistical issues that we've heard about that have significantly disrupted people's lives? You know, Matt, the, the federal government gave us um, a, a couple different options. One of them would have been um, continue delivering services the way you are, but um, receive reduced federal match for that. The one caveat on that is, is that we still would have had to fix the volunteer no load miles issue. So, um, you know, we, we might have been able to um, overcome some of the concerns with conflict of interest, but the no load mile issue would have had um, to have been resolved no matter which option that we went with. And the, the department does feel as though that we made the correct system delivery decision, it's now whether the brokers can live up to their contractual requirements, because we do believe having um, an at-risk brokerage system, which allows us to have contractual metrics, which allows us to have data collection, um, is the best from a quality delivery system in the state of Maine. We, we, we still believe that that's the right system. It's, now we're having to evaluate whether we have the right brokers in place. And Stephanie, what approaches has the department taken to try to improve the consumer experience with the new system? And, and Sarah, after Stephanie responds, you know, please feel free to suggest other ideas that the Disability Rights Center has for steps that the department might take that aren't mentioned that could promote more positive outcomes at the user end and thereby contribute to a more efficient system overall. You know, first and foremost, our, our concern over the last eight weeks has been um, working with the brokers to make sure that they are answering the phone calls and delivering the rides. So that, that's what we've spent the last eight weeks focused on. What we were now talking about, um, and this is in conjunction with um, Sarah and some of her colleagues at the Disability Rights Center as well as Maine Equal Justice Partners, is looking at some um, member experience. So having a um, message on the line for average hold time. So 
individuals and, and recipients understand how long they're going to have to wait before somebody's going to get to them. Um, implementing a callback system where um, a ride can be confirmed for a member for a date and a specific time. So those are the things that we're focused on working with the brokers now. Um, but really, from the department's perspective, what we have been focused on and have been talking with the brokers on a day-to-day -day basis is how are you going to get your call, calls answered and how are you going to get the trips delivered? That's been our main focus. And Sarah, could you speak at all to, to what the DRC would suggest for steps that the department might take that, that aren't mentioned? Some of the concerns that we have are that people have um, lost access to day program and employment programs. And so we're looking to sort of determine if there's a way to rectify that. Um, people have been dropped by providers because of missed appointments that are in no fault due to them. You know, our clients are on limited income. And one of the things that we've heard a lot about is that there's a high usage of track phones, prepaid cell phones, and in calling the uh, transportation workers, although the numbers may be toll free, it uses up a significant amount of their phone minutes. And so they are actually incurring a financial price in addition to high, you know, wait times, you know, missed rides, um, rides that have been canceled and they still show up anyways. And so we're, we're really concerned about the impact that it has on their financial well-being, but also with respect to the delivery of their actual services. So we do want to know if people have lost services as a result of this system because, you know, if there's something that we could do with respect to that, we would certainly like to assist individuals. But the, the other thing is that a, a lot of focus has been on the, the volunteer drivers, and it isn't just them. Um, we do have, you know, individuals who need um, wheelchair, handicap-accessible vans that aren't being provided those um, opportunities. And, you know, the, the, some of the problems that people are experiencing now aren't necessarily new, but as the department says, there was no mechanism to really track them. Um, so from our perspective, I mean, the, the call wait times and the issues with the administration and the infrastructure of the broker system, those are new. But some of the fundamental issues of actually being able to physically access transportation and get to your appointment, those have been ongoing for years. Stephanie, do you feel that the end game will be a better system than what we had previously? Or is this, in the final analysis, a situation where new rules from the federal government took a one-size-fits-all approach and didn't consider the uniqueness of a rural state like Maine? And Sarah, please respond with your thoughts on this question as well. I mean, ultimately, are we going to be better off because of these changes? I, I think, Matt, that that's a, that's a, uh, a very good question. And, and we are um, we believe in having the data available to us to understand where there are potential infrastructure gaps that need to be filled, that the system that we have moved forward with allows us to have a better chance of identifying those gaps. It allows us to have a better chance to have individuals receiving rides at the time in which they need them, um, nights and weekends, after hours, urgent care, um, discharges from the hospital, you know, those are all things as we look at member experience and we believe that in, in the future this will be a better system of delivery for uh, the Medicaid recipients in the state of Maine. I think the possibility exists that this could be a better system and that it will be easier and more um, a more positive experience for people with disabilities 
in accessing the services. But I think it goes back to something Stephanie said at the beginning, which is, are these brokers the right brokers? And I think our concern is that, you know, whether or not they are up to the task of serving not just people with disabilities, but all individuals who um, require main care funded transportation services. In closing, I mean, could you both please suggest some resources available to consumers that are having a hard time navigating the new system? Where should they be calling to get help? It's important that the consumers realize that um, each of the brokers has a complaint line and that although frustrating as it may be, that filing a complaint directly with the broker is um, a first step that they should take so that that data can be tracked. Um, Secondly, they can contact I'm going to say contact the department, but Stephanie, yeah. <laughs> pull me off on that one. But also, <laughs> if um, if people, like I said, if they are, if individuals have lost services as a result of their difficulty or inability to access transportation, disability rights wants to know about that um, because that, like I said, I can't guarantee over the phone. You know, that this is something we would definitely be able to assist with, but, but those are the types of calls and issues that we want to hear about. And Matt, I would also um, echo Sarah's words that it is extremely important that members do try to access the, the brokers um, on their lines, um, specifically their reservation lines, but I think it is important as well um, if they would like to complain that they access the complaint line because that is data that we are tracking and we are holding brokers accountable to a certain contractual metric around that. However, we do understand the frustration that individuals are experiencing um, with long hold times and, and not feeling as though their issues are being resolved. So we would also encourage them to contact our member services line, and that number is 1-800-977-6740 so that we can, from the department perspective, help out in that regard as well. And I would also echo Sarah's words regarding if they have been Um, displaced from a provider practice or things like that, you know, call that member services line and we can see, we'll try to do everything that we possibly can to either find them a new provider or try to get them back into that provider that they were seeing previously. The main line number for disability rights is 1-800-452-1948. If um, there are individuals with intellectual disabilities and autism that have experienced problems, we have developmental services advocates throughout the state that they can contact directly. And if they don't know who their developmental services advocate is, they are certainly welcome to contact our main office and we will um, put them in touch with the right individual. Stephanie Nadal, the director of the Office of Main Care Services, and Sarah Squires from the Disability Rights Center. You can visit the Office of Main Care Services on the web at maine.gov forward slash DHHS forward slash OMS. And you can find out more about the Disability Rights Center by visiting drcme.org. Stephanie and Sarah, thank you both so much. Thank you, Matt. Matt. Now let's hear from Dennis Fitzgibbons, Alpha One's Executive Director, with his vantage point on this episode's topic. Vantage point. Transportation is one of the major barriers to independence for people with disabilities, and therefore, without this service, many people can't get to medical appointments which are critical to them remaining healthy and staying in the community. And it goes beyond that too for you know, transportation, although it's not included in this service, just getting out and having a life, going to a restaurant, going to a grocery store, all those are key elements of being able to access your community 
know, if you don't drive, then you need to have some kind of ride service that can get you where you want to go. The new system that's in place is not living up to the expected standards that uh, the contract called for. People aren't getting the rides they need for very important health care services from um, gee, chemotherapy to just maybe a regular checkup, but certainly the chemotherapy type service is more critical. But nevertheless, the, the contact people have with their, their medical providers is, is always important for whatever reason, whether it's preventing something or dealing with an acute care issue. Many people would say that the previous system wasn't broken, so we shouldn't have fixed it. Uh, I'm not sure that's necessarily so. I think that there's always been a, a series of complaints by consumers that the system wasn't working for them as best as it could. Certainly the new system's had a, a lot of pretty bad bumps to get over in order to make it work, and whether they're going to be able to correct that or not, I don't know. But uh, it hasn't always been perfect, so I think that's important to know. Uh, what needs to be done, I'm not sure, but certainly needs to be done soon. It's up to the Department of Human Services who engage these particular contractors to deliver the service to make sure they're doing their work. And I think that uh, as advocates, our job is to make sure that those complaints are being heard and that solutions are being worked on because we want people to get to the services they need. And certainly in the first two or three months now that they've had to do it, they've, I think they may have, they say they've made progress. I don't know that they have or not. Uh, we're still hearing their complaints out there, and is two months enough time to resolve the issues they have? It, it's, that's really not something that any of us in the community have enough information about. I could tell you that I don't like waiting three or four minutes for, for any kind of service that I'm looking for in a phone call, and I expect better response time. And if you're someone who's already had the frustration of dealing with this for the last two months, then three, three minutes may feel better than the previous hours, but nevertheless, that's not good customer service. Our approach to phone systems is that we like to have a, a human being answering the phone and we want that phone answered within three or four rings. Now sometimes that we may not meet that standard but that's what we strive for and that's far less than three or four minutes to, to talk to a, an actual person. It's an important service that people need. It should be taken seriously by the department and I do believe they're taking it seriously. They were prompted to make these changes because of the federal regulations at the Center for Medicaid or Medicare Services, so that was the driving factor here. But I think they, they have to continue to pay attention to it and be very uh, focused on this issue to get it resolved. And I think the contractors need to, need to take the exact same approach as well. And they need to listen to people who are using the system as to what's working and what's not working so that they can get that uh, resolved in as short a period of time as they can. And that will do it for this episode of One in Five. I'd like to once again thank this episode's guest, Stephanie Nadow, the Director of the Office of Main Care Services, and Sarah Squires, the Public Affairs Director for the Disability Rights Center. The Disability Rights Center is Maine's protection and advocacy agency for people with disabilities, to learn more about the Disability Rights Center, visit them online at drcme.org. Please visit us at Alpha One on the World Wide Web at alphaonenow.org. There you can find a wealth of information including the latest disability-related news and a rundown of all of the programs and services that Alpha One offers. Alphaonenow.org, your portal to powering independent living. 
And don't forget, you can always call Alpha One directly at 1-800-640-7200. Please subscribe to the One in Five podcast on iTunes. Just search One in Five in the iTunes Music Store on your Mac or PC and have all the latest episodes delivered directly to you. Thank you again for listening. I'm your host, Matt Peterson. And remember, be valued equally and participate fully.